Who's been enjoying the Holy Spirit series? Yeah, who's been here for like at least half of them, two weeks more? Great. Uh, And maybe a more important question is, who feels like they've learned something from this? And maybe put it into practice. Who's felt God speaking to them this week? Amazing. Uh, One of the things I've, um, I've been listening to recently has been telling was telling me that the, um, the Holy Spirit's rarely like a rhino, but he's often like a dove. Um, and so what, what that means, I guess, is, you know, we rarely have these moments where it's like, oh my gosh, he's happening, and, you know, I can't escape it. It's too obvious, but he's often like that dove, or like, if you imagine a butterfly just landing on your shoulder, you could so easily miss it. And I guess, I, before we start, I just want to validate those small moments of us Uh, just waiting on the Holy Spirit. And often we're so busy, and we need to become attuned uh, to the voice of the Spirit. Uh, And I was chatting with my friend Harris in the car uh, the other day, and he gave me such a good analogy uh, for for doing that, tuning into the Holy Spirit. We've both worked uh, in coffee shops, uh, and he was telling me that when he started at the coffee shop, you'd have a little bell that would just ding to... um, tell you that some food was ready to run or whatever. Uh, But at the start, you're so kind of caught up with what you're doing, making coffee, like greeting a customer, taking a payment, whatever it is, you'd hit, well, you wouldn't hear the bell, basically. And then you'd have your manager or whatever being like, oh, Johnny, did you hear the bell? No, when was that? It was like two minutes ago, and they're just waiting for you to go and get it. Um, And often it's like that with the Holy Spirit, that over time you become attuned to the voice. And so you could be like sat on the loo having your break or whatever, and you could hear that bell, and you would, you know, you'd hear it wherever it went. Uh, and so we want to be people that really attune ourselves to the voice of the Spirit, because there are those big moments, aren't there, where we hear God, and it's kind of overwhelmingly loud, but 99.9999999% of the time, it's like that butterfly that just lands on your shoulder, and some of you feel like you're hearing the Holy Spirit so much more than you think you are, but you're just like, oh, ignore it. Um, yeah, so be encouraged. Like, those little things that come into your head that maybe just sound a bit out of whack, or like, oh, I wouldn't have usually think that. Maybe pay attention to those. But anyway, we're in this Holy Spirit series, uh, and it's been amazing. We've covered a lot. We've talked um, about the Trinity. John spoke about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and what that means. We've explored prophecy and how God speaks, and how the Spirit isn't something that kind of floats outside, uh, outside of us, around us, but rather he's someone uh, who fills us and lives within us. We've looked at some of the gifts of the Spirit, uh, the, the gifts that he gives, and how he's a friend uh, that is moving in and through us every day. And to finish the series, I'm going to be speaking about the Holy Spirit in here, in the gathered people of God in the church. Uh, now, tell me honestly... We're part of a pretty great church, aren't we? Great. I'm glad the three people think that. Um, It's a joy to gather together, isn't it? Uh, But I wonder whether you've ever asked yourself, why are you here? Why do you come here uh, week in, week out to listen to me badly sing and John brilliantly preach? Um, Maybe you've been here uh, and you've been part of church for years, or maybe you're visiting here today for the first time, and either way, you've made that choice, and we're so glad that you are with us. But what exactly are you here for? Maybe you're looking for an inspirational talk with a bit of life application. Maybe you're excited to be uh, in an immersive music environment where we all get to sing together. Maybe 
Uh, You've come in search of a community where you can process the things of life together. Or maybe you're longing to be part of a family with a purpose, a reason for living. I guess that sums up like quite a lot of what we do in church, isn't it? The only issue is you can find every single one of those outside of the church, whether at gigs or TED Talks, uh, in social action movements or wellness groups. Uh, and to be honest, the people outside of the church, they do a good job of that. And so if all of that is true, what is the difference between us here within the church walls and the endless options outside? The answer should be pretty straightforward. It's not a trick question. Uh, the answer, obviously, is it's God. It's that this community gathers people from all walks of life to worship Jesus, the alive and active God who has saved us, freed us from our mess, and is sending us on a mission to tell uh, the world about himself. Here we find our purpose, our identity, and our family. But it's also in the community of believers that we see God's power. Because without God's presence and his power, the church is just an option on uh, life's list of groups. It's the truth of our message which is the good news of Jesus, alongside active partnership and submission to the Holy Spirit that sets the church apart. I think if we could package all of these talks we've had the last few weeks uh, into one longing or one desire, it would be that we as the Coastline family would do two things. Number one, we would partner with the Holy Spirit. That means to do things together, to do them with him. And number two, to submit to the Holy Spirit, to follow his leading, and to yield to his plans. Now, in my preparation for today, I've read a lot, I've spent a lot of time listening, uh, and being inspired by all that God has done in the Bible, uh, in my life, and also in our movement of churches called the Vineyard. And in all that good stuff, there's been two main things that have stuck, uh, stuck out to me. Uh, firstly, is the importance of waiting. And secondly, that partnering with the Holy Spirit produces exponentially more than we could ever dream for on our own. Awesome. So let's unpack that. Firstly, why wait? If you read the Bible, you'll see the theme of waiting everywhere. You'll see moments of waiting for justice, waiting for promises. Uh, We're told to wait on the Lord. And Jesus even instructs us to wait for him to come back. In fact, it's in that specific moment that the disciples are asked to wait for the Holy Spirit. If you've got a Bible, why don't we open it to Acts 1, verses 3 to 8. We read this. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He uh, he replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, but they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. More. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
Now, it's interesting to me that Jesus doesn't just give them the baptism of the Holy Spirit in that moment. He has all of his crew gathered together in that moment right before he goes up to be uh, with his Father in heaven. And he gives them a mission uh, and asks them to wait for the power to carry out that mission. Seems like it's a good moment right then. If I was Jesus, I'd probably have just prayed for them, laid on a hand so that I could leave knowing they've got it all covered. Uh, But instead, he asks them to go to Jerusalem and to wait. In the act of waiting, we relinquish our own ideas and our our own agendas. We let go uh, of any form of control and we're still. For the followers of Jesus, in this moment, they were obedient. If we read on, we find out that they do go to Jerusalem and they wait. And maybe uh, you've noticed over the last couple of weeks that we do a lot of waiting here in our gatherings. We make a space in our worship times, our ministry and beyond, and they can be uncomfortable at first. But we've made this intentional decision that we're going to be a people who wait. Now, this isn't because we're suddenly fresh out of ideas, but rather because we want his ideas. Our teams are diligent to listen and wait on Holy Spirit throughout the week, whether that's in preparation for speaking, in kids' church, in youth, uh, wherever it is. And we even meet on a Sunday morning before we all get going, and we pray together. And in all of this, we listen. We make plans, yeah, but then we submit those plans to the Holy Spirit allowing him to lead us whichever way he pleases. After all, it is laughable that we could somehow stumble across the correct concoction of emotion or persuasive words or songs to emulate the Holy Spirit at work. When he is moving, it can be subtle, loud, soft or dynamic, but one thing is for sure, it's completely other. I could say or sing a word Uh, And it might encourage you, maybe it even inspires you. But when the Holy Spirit encounters you, he will change your life. And there'll be fruit that comes from that encounter that no one person could conjure up. And it's because of this that we posture ourselves like boats, sails ready to catch the wind of the Spirit wherever he wants to take us. That's why... Without question, every single week, you will hear us saying, come Holy Spirit, and then we will wait and we'll be quiet. Some of you will remember uh, Soul Survivor. It was a youth festival I grew up going to with thousands of uh, young people every year in Somerset, and they, like us, would say, come Holy Spirit, and then they would wait, but this time it would be with 10,000 teenagers. Uh, And pretty much it was always in silence. And I remember being in my early teens, looking around the tent, not quite sure what was going on, waiting for something to happen. And every single time, the Holy Spirit would begin to move around the tent. And I really mean move. I would see him pop up over here. And then it would move around the tent. And then somebody on the stage would get up and they would give context. And they'd be like, I feel like God's in that back left corner. And then you would wait some more. And like leaves through a tree, you would see the wind of the Spirit just kind of moving across. It was beautiful. These are such precious memories for me. And they were times where I really encountered God powerfully. And there were other times where seemingly nothing happened for me at all. But I had so much fun just watching God meet people. And I feel like that's something that maybe a lot of us can take hold of. 
you know, if God's not meeting you, either go and get involved or just enjoy, like, watching, being in the presence of God. There's nothing more beautiful than God meeting somebody, whether it's you or not. Now, there are a few things uh, I feel like I've learned and I've observed being in these times and settings over the years, whether that's in those massive gatherings or, or just in the lounge of a friend's house. And I've narrowed them down to five things uh, that I hope will be helpful for you. So if you're a note person, here are five things. Number one, waiting is not passive. Waiting involves a present moment surrendering to God. Now, that doesn't mean you're trying, uh, you have to try hard to make something happen, but it does mean that you give God your attention. Think of your mind and your heart like that sailboat. You're not just there with your sails down passive, but your sails raised, ready to receive, whether that means you're trying to still your mind or you're just quietly praying. Whatever it is, you're actively surrendering to God and what he wants to do. Number two, Holy Spirit is a gift to be received and not earned. In my life, Thankfully, there has been no correlation between how well or good I feel like I'm doing and uh, if I'm encountering Holy Spirit. He's a gift, and he loves to draw close to us as we draw close to him. John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, when he kind of started and got it all going, he had this image of a honeycomb and honey dripping all over the world, and it I guess it sounds a bit messy, but he felt like God saying that this honey was the mercy of God. You know, God meeting us has always been about his loving mercy towards us and not, nothing to do with what we have done to earn it. All right, number three, it's not always about you. God loves to meet you, he does, uh, and he also loves to meet other people. Often as we gather as the people of God, he will speak to you, so keep your ears open, uh, and he'll speak to you about someone else. Whether that's you get a sense that you want to go and pray for a specific person, or you may get uh, an image in your mind for someone. When your sail is up and you're open to him, you don't get to lead the way. He does. Right, number four. It may be messy, but it's not disorderly. When the Holy Spirit moves in a corporate setting, it can be a holy silence or a loud and dynamic roar and everything in between. Whilst it may feel chaotic, there is still order, and it can be useful to open your eyes. If we're in a moment of quiet waiting, it's not the time to raise your voice and share a verse that you're feeling. Instead, as Paul talks about in Corinthians, there's an orderly process so that we can all be together as the church on the same page. Hold on to that verse. Or maybe gives you a picture. Hold on to it. And give it to one of the pastors or person who's hosting that gathering. It's then their job to weigh and discern it and ultimately decide if that is for now or maybe it's for later. I often think about being in like an acoustic gig. Maybe you've been at a gig where it's just somebody on the piano or just somebody in a guitar. And in those moments, you can hear a pin drop and it's beautiful. And somehow, everyone inherently knows that this isn't a sing-along moment but we're sucked into the beauty of that moment and we want to listen. And often, in moments of waiting, it's like that. You know, there are sing-along moments, there always are, of corporate prayer and corporate singing, but sometimes we just want to wait and we want to hear what he wants to say and we just want to kind of enjoy the beauty of that moment. And number five, 
Encounters are not the end. Every beautiful moment with Holy Spirit, whether it's in the big, the small, or on your own, is not an end in itself. These memorable moments when you experience God in big and obvious ways are sacred and special. They're an expression of relationship and a demonstration of God's kindness towards us, but they are always an invitation into closer relationship with God. We read all over the Bible about how people had these defining moments with God, where they experienced God's love, his voice, or his call, but there's always a next day when they wake up without the same fervor or the same experience as the day before, and they begin to faithfully walk in the fruit of those encounters. God is a God of daily bread. So let's celebrate those mountaintop moments and then continue on in step with him. It's so important that we create this space to be still, to welcome the Holy Spirit and to wait to see what he wants to do. In those moments where we wait on his direction and on his leading above our own agenda, beautiful things happen. Which brings us to the second thing I want to look at, is that when we wait and we're led by the Holy Spirit, he does exponentially more than we could ever have imagined. So if we pick back up with Jesus, uh, we just left, well, he just ascended to the Father, uh, and we pick up back with the disciples, we read this in Acts 2, 1 to 13. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roar of, mighty, of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed, these people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts converts to Judaism, Cretans, Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood amazed, at, sorry, they stood there amazed and perplexed. What does this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Now this is a crazy passages, passage, but let's remember who we're dealing with here. These are ordinary, everyday people with their everyday struggles. Peter He literally put his foot in it more times than is advisable. And uh, Thomas was known as the doubter. He was so unsure. But these normal, broken people, they waited. And something incredible happened. They were filled with the Spirit to the point that they started speaking languages that they did not know. Now, how many of you know that you can't just learn a language? It doesn't just happen like that. I couldn't just ask John next week, You've got to speak in Mandarin, if that's cool. 
You know, it's not, it, it's not happening. But these people not only spoke new languages, but they are telling people how great God was in those new languages. And I think at this point, you could call it a full-scale fiasco. We've got crowds gathering with no clue what's going on, random Galileans who can weirdly speak a bunch of new languages. And then Peter, that same screw-up, pipes up, and he shouts over the crowd and begins to tell them that the good news about Jesus and how he died for them. And we're told in one day, 3,000 people were saved, baptized, and joined the church. It's amazing, eh? That moment kick-started the life of the church. And afterwards, if you read the book of Acts, it's just one series of events that you could never have predicted if you tried. When we partner with Holy Spirit and we join in where he's at work, We end up in places we couldn't have foreseen seeing things beyond our wildest imaginations. But remember, we don't always know what he's doing or when he's going to do it. So we must remain faithful like those sailboats, sails up high, waiting, childlike and surrendered, ready for that breath of wind. Now, uh, a lot of you will have seen me singing or with a guitar, uh, but not many of you will know my journey into music. And believe, believe it or not, music wasn't really on my radar in any way growing up. I picked up some uh, casual drums in my early teens, but I didn't have any budding aspirations to be a musician. I'd never have considered myself a singer, and I had never sung in public, and never would. Absolutely not. But one day we were at uh, a church weekend away. It's actually the place that we've done the men's weekend the last few years, which is a fun thing when I turned up and I remember this. Uh, And we had been on a mission trip as a family to Uganda, and I'd got a little African drum, a little djembe, and I had it with me. Uh, And so they asked me to play. We had an outdoor service, and they asked me to join in. And I'd never had that before, and so I did. It was good fun. Um, And then I had this little voice in my head, and I was like, I feel like we should sing this song. And so I whispered over to my youth leader at the time, I was in this moment of waiting, and I was like, I think we should sing this song. And then he proceeds to stand up in front of the church and say, Johnny's going to sing you a song. (laughs) And uh, obviously that's not what I was shooting for. I would never, ever have done that. And to this day, I cannot tell you what possessed me to stand up (laughs) at 16 and songbird it. It wasn't the one. But... And it wasn't actually anything special. It was like a, just a moment. But immediately afterwards, I was filled with the presence of God. <laughs> wow. It was, so, it was overcoming. And um, it was as if God picked me up from over here, and he put me in his will for my life. It was ne- I wasn't in music. I wasn't doing anything. And then God was like, yeah. It's beautiful. And that was 11 years ago, and ever since I've been walking in the fruit of that moment of obedience. Now, if you'd have told me at 15 that I was going to serve within the church, especially musically, I would have thought you were mad. But this is the thing. In that moment, I listened to the Holy Spirit. And I actually didn't even know it was him at the time. And God has led me on this crazy adventure ever since. Now, I wonder... What life could look like for you personally, or for us as a church family, if we were fully surrendered? If we stepped out in risky faith in response to Holy Spirit's whispering voice? 
He doesn't use the most knowledgeable or the most gifted. He uses the most yielded people, those who are surrendered. Now, let me finish with a story from a few days ago. A lot of you um, may have heard about this amazing thing that's happening in Kentucky in the States, uh, where a lot of people are saying there is revival happening. And actually, I will now use this moment to describe what revival is for those people that are hearing revival and are triggered by that word. Nothing of anyone in particular. But revival, in, in my lowly estimation, is uh, where we see the outpouring of the Spirit. So in Acts, where those 3,000 people came, I would say that was a moment of revival. We hear that the Spirit is indwelling. He lives within us, and we know that he is gathered here. But we also know that there are those moments where his Spirit is poured out in greater measure. You'll have noticed in the last few weeks where maybe moments within worship that feel different to usual. I'm not going to put any superlatives on it other than we're just enjoying God's presence. And I would say that revival is a place that comes from sustained prayer. If you look at the history of revival, it's submitted people have prayed. And I think people have prayed for years for this thing. And um, it's, it's beautiful. What's going on in America is so beautiful. And I'll get onto it. But these yielded people who are praying, uh, and then through no work of people, this is key, no work of people conjuring anything up, no work of people striving, but nothing other than the sovereign kindness of God. He's just pouring out <laughs> his spirit. And it seems to always be his love and his grace. You know, we can't, The Bible talks about um, being treasures in jars of clay. And um, we really need to kind of sit in that. Because the reality of us as humans is that we have nothing. And if you have lived a life like me, you will know that you are seriously, seriously broken. And uh, the life of the Bible is this story of people constantly messing up. And it's the story of a God who's so gracious that he would come and he would be with us. And um, it's beautiful, isn't it? And so in these moments that we're coining revival... Maybe that's an uncomfortable word for you. Maybe you want to use outpouring. It's a sustained moment of God outpouring his spirit and reminding people um, that he loves them, that he's for them. And it, it's always preceded by people who are surrendered and they're praying. And uh, I read this thing this week, actually, about <clears throat> moves of God in the past. And usually it's always 
they look different, and so we should never try and mold ourselves looking for what's happened before. We can learn from it, but what God is doing in the present is always new. Uh, but it's, God always gives a generation what they need. And so they were saying, you know, in the past, especially in some of the American um, moments of outpouring or revival, God's uh, done a thing where it seems to be a lot of people speaking in tongues or a different one where it seems to be this real fervor for evangelism or it seems to be uh, actually an outpouring of healing. And in this moment, it's on a university campus, and I will eventually meet back with my notes. Um, but it's with Gen Z. It's 18 to 25, and um, <laughs> so good. <laughs> there's no like production. There's nothing happening. It's like it's the most ragtag budget situation going. But the people are so hungry, and for this generation who are chronically distracted, God is coming in a way with no hype, with no lights, and there's nothing wrong with any of that, by the way, but God is coming in a way where they can find their, like, focus, and they can find their kind of rhythm for life in this simplicity, and so it's beautiful. Anyway, we're back. Here we go. Um, let me tell you about it. So this is from J.D. Walt who was the former chaplain of the college. So this picture, this one, depicts the chapel immediately after the usual chapel service on Wednesday, and this was February the 8th, just, what, 11 days ago. Nothing impressive, just another day. These are his words. But then students, for unknown reasons other than the hand of God, began to come back to the chapel. They asked their professors, if they could return, which is uncharacteristic, to say the least. And within a few hours, it looked like this. Yeah, so that's people joining. Look at that. Crazy. It hasn't stopped since 24-7, 11 days straight. People are coming from all over the country and the world, and last night we opened up four overflow buildings and all were packed. Student groups from many campuses are here, it is clearly an outpouring of the Spirit, but beyond that, we are reticent to call it anything else. History can define it as it will. It is extraordinary and yet nothing new. Many of us have seen and experienced that all that is happening here elsewhere, and yet none of us really have been in this kind of sustained move. The hunger of people coming from everywhere is enormous. It's characterized by exuberant worship, empowered by the Spirit, led by the students. No production whatsoever, no screens or words projected. Seemingly no song lists. They just sing until the Spirit seems to give them another song. There is a lot of prayer being led all over the house. There are testimonies given throughout the day. It is the holy love of God rising like a tide and rolling like waves. Jesus is the only celebrity here. No one even remotely considers the names of anyone in leadership here. They are not unseasoned, just unknown. Incredible humility characterizes this whole move. This has been an enormously disruptive time for the life of the school, but no one seems to care. <laughs> this is the vigilance of love supporting these students. Now God is doing something 
so beautiful over there. And um, I've got friends that have gone. They've literally gone. They were like, my friend was on the way to the airport to go to Budapest with his mates. And they were like, should we just go to Asbury instead? So they've gone. And it's, um, it's stunning, stunning what God's doing. And the crazy thing is it's moving and it's growing. So there's now reports of other university campuses across the states that have gone into this sustained thing. And uh, can you go back to the picture of them like queuing up? Yeah, that one. Isn't that mad? I was just thinking, because my friend was doing like live videos, and I was like, can you imagine what it would look like if our little wreck was just, just heaving? It's just it's so beautiful. Wouldn't we like to see that? It would be so good. Anyway, I don't really know what I want to say anymore. So why don't we stand? And um, I want to read to you this uh, quote I found, which is one of our vineyard values on partnering with the Holy Spirit. And it says, we are not simply... Uh, We are not simply implementing the best church strategies and trying to accomplish what is humanly possible. Rather, our mission involves praying and finding power from God himself to accomplish what humans could never accomplish on their own. We pray for the sick, we confront injustice, and we seek to hear the voice of God on behalf of others. This involves partnership with a person beyond ourselves.